If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Malachi, Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. Sometimes things happen and they don't make sense at the time. On Sunday morning, first service, I, um, I opened up the service and I just started talking about adoption and, um, and being adopted by the Lord and and I was given the illustration of my father-in-law, who uh, married my wife's mother, Joan. And Joan had, uh, had been divorced. She had two little girls. And Bob Robert Johnson, this architect, uh, they go out on a date and... and um, it was meant to be, and they marry, and, and they, he just became such a wonderful uh, father to those girls. Absolutely wonderful, wonderful father. Uh, their own father wasn't present, but he surely filled any void that they might have. So I kind of went into that. If you were at the first service, you remember me doing that. So second service um, ends... And I'm up front in the sanctuary there, and I'm talking to someone, and the phone rings. And so in my office, so I go into my office, I excuse myself, go into the office, pick up the phone, and I could hear this little voice, almost sounded like a little girl. It was kind of a bad connection. And she says, uh, is this Danny? And I said, yes, this is Danny. And so the voice said, daddy's dead. And so I, it was one of those strange moments because um, when the voice said this, I didn't recognize the voice. And when the voice said it, I thought, who is this? And what do you mean my dad's dead? You know, that's how it was going. Because my father had already died a number of years ago, you know. So it was this weird thing. And it wasn't connecting. And she says, is this Danny? <laughs> and I said, yeah, this is Danny. I said, who is this? And she said, it's Bonnie. Danny, Daddy died. And I said, oh, Bonnie, I'm so sorry. I said, the connection's not good, you know. And so I, I went and, you know, we got Tracy and brought her up. And, you know, we knew that um, Bob was close to death. Um, he has been in a home in Santa Barbara, he has dementia, had dementia, doesn't have it any longer. Um, but um, there in Santa Barbara, and, and Tracy and I would go down, and then Tracy more than I would go down to see her dad. And, um, you know, it, it kind of was a rapid thing. You really saw a decline fairly quickly. And, and so uh, he wasn't eating any longer, and so they put him on hospice there in the, in the facility where he was staying. Um, and hospice said, well, we don't think he has much time. So anyway, Tracy's down there now, and she's there with her sister, and this was kind of a planned trip. Um, you know, we she wanted to be down there uh, before it happened, but would you be praying for Tracy? Her and her sister, you know, uh, they've spent a lot of time together, just the two of them, over the past, you know, two years because of dad being in, in the you know in this condition and all and they have wonderful conversations about the lord and uh but you know tracy was just really and and bonnie her sister um she's not disrespectful about the lord she's very respectful she'll talk about the lord but you know our prayer is that she would really come to faith in christ and so we really covet your prayers for that um tracy i talked to her today and I said, how you doing, baby? And she said, you know what? We're doing really good. We've just been reminiscing, telling stories about dad. And, um, and she says it's been uh, fun in that sense. And I, I said, well, are you running around a lot of logistics? She said, you know what? Dad took care of everything before he even got to this point. We haven't had to do anything. 
everything. I said, that's so wonderful, you know. And so anyway, they're enjoying each other's company. She said um, that when Bonnie received the phone call, because Bonnie lives up in Ojai, and so she gets a call from Santa Barbara saying that her father had died. Um, about the same time that she gets the phone call, there was a delivery for Bob's um, hearing aid. He had a cochlear implant, and so it, and it broke, and so she was getting it fixed, and it was delivered at that time, and she picked up the box, and it was kind of this you know, revelation, I guess he won't be needing this any longer. And Tracy and I, before Tracy left on her trip, we were rejoicing in the fact that, you know, we believe what the Bible teaches. He, is, he had placed his faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, he was one of those guys. Uh, Joan had received Christ before he did. He was always respectful. He would come to our church, and he was always respectful. And um, in fact, when people would raise their hands in worship, he would raise his hands in worship because he just figured, I guess that's what we're supposed to do, you know. And, and then um, they were living in um, uh, Oregon on the coast there, going to a church, and, um, and he w went forward and asked the Lord, you know, to be a savior. And, you know, just wonderful. So we're rejoicing, you know. We're kind of wondering what it must be like when you go to heaven. You know, some of our folks have spouses that are in heaven. And uh, we kind of, Bob used to call Joan sometimes, Joni Baloney. And we just kind of pictured their reunion in heaven, you know. And hi, Joni Baloney, you know. And anyway, all right. Father, we pray that as we begin this study in the book of Malachi, that, Father, we would glean application from your word. We thank you for your word. It is your word. It was applicable when it was written, when it was spoken, and it's applicable today. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we shall return and build the desolate places, thus says the Lord of hosts. They may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see and you shall say the Lord is magnified beyond the borders of Israel. So, guys, you look at this and, and hopefully no one here. I mean, you're here on a Wednesday night. This is midweek Bible study and so obviously you're here to hear the word but I think of how many Christians might turn to a book like Malachi and they read it and they they look at the the opening line the introduction the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi it's a word to Israel it's a word from God by a prophet it's a word to Old Testament Israel uh, sent, spoken by an Old Testament prophet, how does the church apply? How can the church apply these things? These things have nothing to do with us. This has to do with Israel. But of course, we know better than that, don't we? If you're a student of the word, you know that all scripture is God-breathed and beneficial for us, all scripture. I think of the Apostle Paul. You know, when Paul was writing to the Corinthians, and remember, Corinth, the majority of the Christians in Corinth were Gentiles. Not all of them. There were Jews there, but the majority were Gentiles. This was a Gentile city. And as he was writing to them, he was reminding them, giving them Old Testament examples. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, he wrote this. Now, all these things, again, pertaining to the Old Testament examples, all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our 
for the Christian, for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the age have come. So, the word of God, it is applicable for all of us. And we can glean as Christians from this Old Testament prophet written to Old Testament Israel concerning the issues that they were dealing with. So the Lord, he speaks through Malachi. Who is Malachi? Well, Malachi was a contemporary of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah, by the time Malachi came upon the scene with this prophecy, with this burden for Israel from the Lord, Nehemiah had had returned back to Jerusalem, had, had built, because remember it only took, what, 52, 53 days, I think it was, to rebuild the breaks in the wall of Jerusalem and the gates of Jerusalem, making the city of Jerusalem, uh, you know, safe for those dwelling within it. And so Malachi comes upon the scene about that time frame. Guys, remember that Isaiah the prophet, of course these prophets, they're speaking as the Lord is giving them the information. That Isaiah was given the information concerning a Persian who was not even born yet by the name of Cyrus. And that this Persian would be the one to give kind of the green light for the children of Israel, the exile, that is the Babylonian you know, exile, to return, the 70 years have passed, now they're returning to their, their uh, you know, temple. Ezra, of course, was there to uh, kind of reestablish the religious aspects of the children of Israel, and then you had Nehemiah dealing with the practical, you know, parts of the city and all. So all of this was going on, and you would think, you would think that 70 years in captivity... If you were older, you're dead. If you were younger, maybe Babylon is all you ever knew. You heard about Jerusalem. You heard about the temple. You heard about these things, but you'd never been there yourself. And now you have this Persian king that says you could go back. You, he, you know, God has moved upon his heart, and now you could return, and they begin to return, and you would think that they would be, oh, Lord, you are so good. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you. You promised our fathers that we would return to the land. You promised us through the prophets, Jeremiah and, and all. But they weren't. They, they, were, they were in a funk, spiritually speaking. And so the Lord spoke to them through the prophet Malachi to get their attention. Now, if you've read Malachi, you know that there's a lot of questions in Malachi. In fact, there's 28 questions in Malachi. But Malachi, the prophecy, it's really a fairly short prophecy. It centers around seven questions that were from the people to the Lord. So let me just give you a rundown of those seven questions that were presented to the Lord from the children of Israel. In chapter 1, verse 2... First question, in what way have you loved us? And then same chapter, verse 6, in what way have we despised your name? Same chapter, chapter 1, verse 7, in what way have we defiled you? Then chapter 2, verse 17, in what way have we wearied him? And then chapter 3, verse 7, in what way shall we return? And then chapter 3, verse 8, in what way have we robbed you? And then the last one, Malachi chapter 3, verse 13, in what way have we spoken against you? So seven questions coming from the people to the Lord, and then we have, you know, 21 other questions making up 28 questions and all. And so you read through this book. It's a very fast-moving book, a lot of questions that are presented. So first message. God says, I have loved you. Who's he speaking to? Israel. He's speaking to Israel. I have loved you. He says, I have loved you. And the people respond with, in what way have you loved us? In essence, they're saying, we don't see it. How have you loved us? And so they ask this question, and so the Lord, through the prophet Malachi, answers their question. And first of all, he answers it by simply stating it, first and foremost, 
He says, I have loved you. That should be enough. I have loved you. Okay, Lord. <laughs> we believe you. But he doesn't stop there, as we'll see, and we just read it in our text. The second thing he did, God speaks of the fact that he picked them. He says, I said I loved you. I've proved it by picking you over your brother. And then thirdly, God's blessing upon them. So I have loved you. In what way have you loved us? I think of, we just finished it, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. The first part of that verse says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. We never initiate the love relationship with God. We could say, oh, I was a seeker. No, you weren't. None of us were. None of us were seeking the Lord. Uh, we were just kind of going our way. He sought us. He's the, he's the one, you know, he's the one in the garden saying, Adam, where are you? You know, he's the, <laughs> the father of the, the prodigal son, you know, rejoicing when the son returns. He's the one who initiates this love relationship. You don't have to turn there, but you could write it down. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. Listen to this. You'll, you'll, you'll recognize it as I start to read it. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. With loving kindness, I have drawn you. That was true for them. That's true for us as well. So God, he confirms his love to his people. Listen, not through soft words, not through hugs and cuddles, not through, you know, necessarily, you know, giving his people everything they ask for all the time. But God confirms his love to his people through covenants. And a covenant, you know, is it's a promise. It's a standing contract between two parties. And so the first covenant pertaining to the children of Israel, the first covenant would be the Abrahamic covenant. That's what applies to the children of Israel. Adam wasn't a Hebrew. Adam was a creation of God. You know, we always think of it, well, he must have been a Hebrew. No, he wasn't a Hebrew, because the Hebrews came out of Abraham's body, not out of uh, Adam's body. And so God, of course, he makes this covenant with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. And God promised to bless Abraham and to bless his offspring. And remember when he made that promise, that covenant? He had no son. He had no children. And so he makes his covenant, I will bless your offspring. And here's a question that I'll present to you. Did he? Yes, he did. So we could check that one off. He promised that he would bless, and he is blessing uh, Abraham's children. And then part of this covenant was that God promised Abram that his offspring would inherit the land, Genesis chapter 15. Did they inherit the land? Yes, they inherited the land. By the way, in a few days, it will be the 74th anniversary of the rebirth of Israel in the land. And how many times in those 74 years have we, either looking back if you're not old enough, you know, reading about it, or present tense, we're really seeing an uptick in this, how governments and peoples and the powers that be are constantly trying to move Israel out of the land. The threat from Iran, you know, we're going to drive you into the sea and other nations. By the way, uh, I just heard today, Iran is threatening to use this bomb, this nuclear bomb, or a few of them, over the United States of America. I have to research that a little bit more, but I thought that was intriguing. I heard that from uh, uh, Glenn Beck. Uh, I was listening to something from him, and I thought, boy, I hadn't heard that one. But we know where Iran stands with Israel. We want to drive them into the sea, the little Satan, and then we'll deal with the big Satan, which is the United States of America. But, you know, the land is part of the covenant. And, guys, I, I always try to remind us as Christians that the land is important because there are so many Christians that have bought into a replacement theology. 
that the church has somehow replaced Israel. Israel doesn't matter anymore, so the land doesn't matter anymore. Nothing pertaining to that matters anymore. It matters, it matters, it matters. God keeps his covenants. And also God promised in his covenant to Abraham that all of the, fam all of the families of the earth would be blessed through him. And of course, they are in Christ. All of the families of the earth are blessed. Even the ones that don't receive Christ, they're still blessed. A day's coming when the restrainer will be removed. I believe that's the Holy Spirit in the church. And I'll tell you, you talk about things getting really bad on the earth. First of all, people are going to get what they think they, they want. You know, on Sunday, we were anticipating. Uh, I called some of our guys. I called one of our security guys. And I said, you know, we might have some protesters. You know, we... This past two years, we've, we're kind of on a run with protesters at the church, you know. I'm starting to counter the privilege that they're <laughs> choosing this little church in this neighborhood off the beaten track, but anyway. And so kind of waiting to see if they come. They didn't come. They showed up on Monday. <laughs> they, were, they were gathered out here. A bunch of ladies met out here, and it was, anyway, it was interesting. So... Uh, I brought some of my high, uh, my high school. They are high school, but some of my grandchildren. They're my grandchildren. And uh, they're my our labor, you know. We pay them to pull weeds and stuff like that. And so Uncle Ed drove three of them in, and the girls came in. They said, Papa, there's a bunch of cars out front. And I said, oh, it's probably the gamers, you know, because for some reason this location is for whatever game that is. What is the game? Pokemon. Pokemon, yeah. So we'd have cars lined up here, and they'd all be out there on their phones. You know? <laughs> and they're like all grown men and women. You know, I was like, oh, brother. <laughs> anyway, so I figured, oh, it's them. And then I went to the door, and I looked out, and I said, nope. <laughs> Not gamers. They have another agenda. Anyway, so you have the Abrahamic covenant. God made a covenant with Israel the, through Moses, the Sinai covenant, Exodus chapter 4. God made a covenant with David, the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel chapter 7, fulfilled in Jesus. The covenant that God made with David, is, it finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Each of these covenants, guys, listen, each of these covenants build upon another. And each of these covenants is God confirming his love for his people. He says it, I love you. And, and you can say, in what way have you loved us? Prove it, you know. I've proved it to you. I've proved it to you over and over and over again. And of course, all of these covenants find their ultimate fulfillment in the new covenant, which is made with us through the means of our Lord's blood, the new covenant. So, so when you look at this, guys, you say, oh, that's so confusing. It's really not confusing at all. And we need to look at it as a, as a, as a picture, as a symbol of his love for us. Do you know, um, Paul wrote in Ephesians, speaking of the Holy Spirit, that, and the, the word that's used there, it kind of pictures the Holy Spirit Almost as if, well, he is a, he's given to us as a guarantee. And, and some of us, you know, Bible teachers, sometimes will use the example of an engagement ring. You know, a man, he falls in love with a woman, and uh, he, he wants to pop the question, you know. So he goes out and he buys a ring, and, um, and then he, he pops the question. And um, I remember when I asked Tracy... To marry me, um, we you know we grew up in San Diego, and we I had a lunch, and I had all the flowers, and I had all this stuff, and we went to Balboa Park, which at one time in the seventies was a beautiful place. Now I think it's just a place where debauchery takes place. It's just horrible, but anyway, it was kind of it was kind of prophetic, because there we were sitting under this evergreen tree and. It was just just the two of us, and I was just getting around to asking the question, and the station wagon pulls up, 
And mom and dad pile out, and all of these kids pile out, and they set up right next to us. And there's all these kids, and I'm thinking, oh, gosh, they're ruining the moment, you know. And I said, come on, we got to go somewhere. So we packed everything else up, and we drove to Mission Bay, and that's where I popped the question. Not that it was any less crowded. It was more crowded. But I thought we'd laugh about that later because, oh, if we only knew that we would be married and the Lord was going to give us a station wagon full of kids. (laughs) And we were so blessed. Anyway, but these covenants, they all build upon one another. Even though his love for them was confirmed repeatedly through his covenants for them and his care and his love shown to them, they still ask the question, in what way have you loved us? And so he explains. Here's, here's what he says. He says, was not Esau Jacob's brother? Guys, they weren't just brothers. They were twins. You guys know the story. They were twins. And they weren't just twins, but, but Esau was born first, so that gave him the privilege of the firstborn. Guys, this is what, again, you've got to find it intriguing. If you don't find it intriguing, you're not reading your Bible. But it's like time after time after time after time after time, the Lord sets things up so it's impossible. You know, I'm going to bless the nation. I'm going to use a barren old woman who's past the age of, you know, really, Lord? And an old guy, you know, they can't, they haven't had any children. All these, you know, I'm going to use them. Okay, Lord. And then it's like generation after generation. It's like, Lord, why why so many obstacles? So that we might know it's not man. It's God. And we see this pattern throughout the scriptures. And it's fulfilled again in Jesus. Because everything points to Jesus, guys. When you're reading Genesis, Exodus, wherever you're reading, look for Jesus. Because Jesus is seen in the volume of the book. But it's always the younger serving the elder. And Jesus, he comes upon the scene. And he comes upon the scene not to be served, but to serve. He takes the role of the younger. He takes the role of the servant. That's what our Lord does. And what's he doing? He's setting an example for us. Even on the night that he was betrayed, that he was arrested, you know. He takes and he washes their feet. I mean, it's like, Lord, can't you think of something more important to do? No, this is really, really important because you guys need to get this. You need to understand this. This is what it's all about. You guys keep asking. You guys keep bickering over who's going to be the greatest. It's not about greatness. It's about humility and service. That's what it's about. And he models that to to them on, on, on the last night he spent with them. But Turn with me to Romans chapter uh, 9. Romans chapter 9. And verse 10. So the verse before he gives the example of Sarah. And then verse 10 he says, And not only this, but when Rebekah, also had conceived by one man, even our father Isaac. Um, For the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. And then we have this quote, as it is written, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. Where's the quote from? Malachi. That's right, we just read it. So he gives the example. He says, you want to know how I love you? Esau was the older brother. Esau had the privilege of the, of the oldest brother, uh, that position. And yet I chose Jacob. I chose Jacob. I chose to work through Jacob. And guys, when you, when you look at this, you, you might say, well, you know, I have a problem with this. You know, God says, Esau I have uh, hated. Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. I have a problem with that. I don't like that, you know. But we'll get to that in a moment. But, but first we need to understand that God was, he wasn't speaking of, 
like two little boys and saying, that Esau, I just, you know, well, he's such a hairy little thing, you know, it's disgusting. I, how, could, how could a God love something like that? It wasn't like that at all. He was, it wasn't that he, that he loved one over the other. In fact, the word hate, the, the word that's used there in the Old Testament, it speaks of preference or priority. And the real issue was not about two boys or two men, eventually. It was about two nations. In fact, we know this is true because in Genesis chapter 5, verse 23, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be uh, separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So God's love. God's love was manifested in his selection of Israel over Edom. Again, nowhere nowhere does it suggest in the scriptures that, that Jacob was more lovable than Esau. In fact, do you guys remember Jacob? Hill catcher? I mean, he, you know, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't a good guy, you know. He was just conniving. And, and even though the Lord had told his mother, you know, before she even gave birth to these boys, we see mom and son conniving and trying to make something happen rather than just allowing the Lord to, to work it out, you know. And, and then Jacob, even, you know, I mean, boy, he, he learned lessons the hard way with his father-in-law. Boy, I'm glad I didn't have him for a father-in-law. <laughs> but anyway, the reason this is brought up this whole election, the reason it's brought up is not to exclude, but to comfort and to reassure Israel. This is proof of my love for you. Now, guys, I want you to think about this for a moment because, again, we can say, well, it's just not fair. That's not fair. No. Listen, if God would have said, Jacob I have hated, but Esau I have loved, Esau is the one I've chosen. Esau is the line that I've chosen to bless. By the way, do you understand the whole idea? We're not talking, again, we're not even talking about Jacob. We're not talking about the, the 12 sons that followed, the 12 tribes. We're talking about Messiah. <laughs> Messiah. Messiah doesn't come from Esau. Messiah comes from Jacob. Isaac, Abraham. God says, this is what I've chosen. Messiah's coming through this line. So, you, you see this, and, and the Lord is saying, you know, isn't that enough evidence? Now, he talks about Esau, and, uh, you know, they're sent, it, it, he talks about their land. He says, even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. He says, they may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called a territory of wickedness. You say, well, what did they do? They had to have done something horrible. Well, they... Remember when the children of Israel... So, Jacob. Jacob... He arrives in Egypt, 70 members in all, 70-member family, you know, with the 12 and the wives and the kids and everything, 70 members. And there they are in Egypt, what is it, 400, what is it, I forget the exact number, 400 400 plus years, under 500 years. And then it's time, it's time to go. So, from Egypt to the land of promise, how long does it take? Well, they're on foot. Yeah, it's going to take a long time. How long is it going to take? About two and a half weeks. Two and a half weeks? Walking? Yeah, two and a half weeks. Well, what's up with the, <laughs> the 40 years or the 39 years, you know, but 40 years wandering in the wilderness? And it's because of their rebellion, because they didn't believe, because they, 
you know, we, they just weren't willing to go in and to do what the Lord had called them to do. And so you have another whole generation of people, you know, that end up dying off in the wilderness. And, you know, again, the Lord is constantly trying to teach us. It's impossible to please me without faith. And we keep saying, oh, oh, yeah, that's right, that's right, you know. And yet he's told us that from Genesis throughout. It's impossible to please him without faith. So children of Israel, they're on their way, and um, they, they can take a more direct route if they, go through, if they go through brother Esau's land, the Edomites. Now, guys, the brothers are gone. They're long gone. They're, they've been dead and buried. But now these are their offspring. So Israel, Jacob's offspring, and the Edomites, Esau's offspring, they're, they're relatives. <laughs> All in the family here. We just want to pass through. King says, no, it's not going to happen. Listen, we, will, we, won't, we won't take anything. We won't drink your water. We're just passing through. We won't. We won't touch it. If anyone possibly takes them, we will repay. I mean, we just, we just want to pass through. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Oh. So you say, boy, God carries a grudge. You know, that, that's carrying that for that long. The book of Obadiah. Obadiah, I bet you that's a hard one to find. It's between Amos, 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 and... Jonah. But this is a uh, prophecy, this short, short little postcard prophecy. And it speaks of judgment, not judgment against Edom, not for what they did during the Exodus stage of Israel, but this is dealing with the Babylonian stage. And so it says in verse 10, for violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers, the strangers would have been the Babylonians, carried captive its forces with foreigners, or I'm sorry, when foreigners entered his gate, and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you as one of them. See, God is saying, you were their relatives. I'm holding you responsible. By the way, here's some life application. Take care of your own. Take care of your own. If you have a mom in need, take care of your mom. A grandmother, if you have a, you take care of your own. Take care of your own family. You know, and if you have an extended family, we really got to reach out and take care of people. Um, because they're dependent upon us. I was watching um, Little House on the Prairie. And uh, uh, this old Jewish man. You know, it's amazing how many different ethnic groups they had in that little town there. <laughs> but this little Jewish man, his son was going back to, uh, was he going to Israel or going to New York? I don't know. He's probably going to Israel. <laughs> to marry, you know, the arranged marriage, you know. And he was so brokenhearted, you know, Father, please come with me. And he says, oh, I can't come with you. I'm going to stay here, you know. And he was a craftsman. In fact, that was, that was the, the title of that episode, The Craftsman. And so he makes a statement at one point in the film, and he says, a Jewish man, he can raise 14 children, but 14 children... Can't take, a, take, can't take care of one Jewish father. <laughs> you know, and then we got to take care of our own. We really do. But anyway, so he says, um, boy, talking about getting off track. Verse 11 again. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them, but you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, 
nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people, you know, to plunder after they're gone. In the day of their calamity, indeed, you should not have gazed. The word gazed can also be rendered, you'll see that in your Bible, if you have a note next to it, to gloat. They were gloating on, on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor uh, laid hold on their substance. Oh gosh, subst yeah, that word. I can't even say that. Substance. Yeah, sat. In the day of their calamity, uh, you should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among. Uh, them who escaped. So even even as there were Jews, Israelites that were escaping, they were cutting off the people. Hey, there's some Jews over here. Come over here. Some Hebrews over here. And he says, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the days of distress. Do you know that in Psalm 137, the psalmist is crying out to the Lord, and he's saying to the Lord, Lord, remember remember them. You know, when our children, when, when their heads were dashed on the rocks, and they showed no compassion for us, remember them, Lord, remember them. So, you know, again, we look at this and we say, well, okay, yeah, they, they were bad guys. Do you guys know and and you guys know where I stand on this. I I mean, I I you know I don't like isms. I, I don't like extremes. And so even as I'm teasing, you might say, Oh no, he must have bought in, you know, he's now a Calvinist. I, I'm not a Calvinist, I'm not an Arminianist. I'm a Bibleist, you know. I, I want to believe what the scriptures teach. But this is what the Bible says about us, about Christians being chosen. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. So here's some life application for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, listen, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And we look around and say, well, where are they? Well, they're, they're in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy set apart, and without blemish before him in, in love. In love. Understanding our election should bring us assurance of God's love. His choosing has nothing to do <laughs> with our lovable personalities. It's based upon him. Now, you know, when you deal with things like this, I've had people say, well, you know, uh, I, I don't believe that I'm chosen. I don't believe that I'm chosen. And I'll give them the same answer. Well, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. And you'll see that you've been chosen before the foundations of the earth. You say, well, how do you know? Well, I, you know, I'm just simply saying, we have scriptures that speak about the fact that we're chosen before the foundation of, of uh, you know, the earth, which I have no problem with that because my understanding of God from the scriptures is that he's sovereign, he's eternal, he's outside of time. There is no aha moments for God. There is nothing that takes him by surprise. He sees everything done before it happens. He tells us in the book of Revelation that Jesus is the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the earth. But he wasn't slain until, you know, 2,000 years ago on Calvary. But this is from the eternal God's perspective. But Second Peter 3, 9, you know it. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. The promise, remember the context, the promise of his coming. He says, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants all to come. If unity to repent and to turn to him in faith. Please, if you have not placed your faith in him, do it 
do it. Time is running out. You know, I don't know. I, I mean, the Lord knows. The Lord's sovereign. He knows all things. But there's a moment in time when he says enough is enough, and he's going to take his church home, his bride home, and then things are going to radically change here. And I'll tell you what's going to happen, that people who had heard these things, you know, they had gone to church with their spouse. They never believed. It was just something that they did. I'll tell you, they're going to have a, uh, <laughs> an aha moment. Because they're going to realize I, I gave lip service. But obviously I wasn't one of them. Not because I wasn't chosen, but because I didn't place my faith in Christ. I wasn't believing. I wasn't walking in him. I wasn't seeking him. And my hope is, is that those folks will come to faith in Christ. But the scripture is clear that, I'll tell you, they're going to be martyred for their faith. And there's no getting out. It's going to be horrible. Not because I could read your mind or see your, you know, hidden moments, but because you're a human being. And there are times when things are not going well and we begin to fret and we begin to worry and we begin to pray and sometimes our prayers are met with silence and, and we're wondering, Lord, where are you when I really need you to come through and I really need... Lord, don't you care? Don't you care, Lord? I'm really in a jam here, Lord. I'm really diff dealing with these things. Can I tell you, especially younger people, this is all part of God's design. You, you have to, and I'm telling you this as an old guy. I'm telling you, because there are, are things that you will wrestle through. And that's not a bad thing. It's going to develop your faith as long as you keep your eyes on Jesus. But there are things that you're going to go through. There are things that you're going to, there are going to be times in your life where you're going to feel like the Lord has abandoned you. And this is why, again, no, no, you're going to feel, you're going to feel, we don't want to live by feelings. We want to live by faith. So that's why we need to be people of the word. When we feel a certain way, oh, I'm just so, and I'm angry, and I'm, and where's God, and this is, and I'm, and I'm going to be, and and all of these things, we need to go back to the Word of God and we need to re read the Word of God. And by faith, we believe what the Word says. It doesn't seem this way, but I believe it. I believe it to be true. I believe that God is for us. I believe that God loves me. I believe I'm a child of God. I'm, I place my faith in Him. He's not necessarily disciplining me, but He's allowing me to go through these things because He wants my faith to develop. You know. You know, guys... I think a lot of young Christians do this, you know, new to the word, I mean. You don't have to be young in age, but young spiritually. You read the scriptures, and maybe you're reading the Old Testament, and you just you're, you kind of become envious. I, I remember doing that. You become envious. You look at people like Abraham, and, and God meets with him, and God speaks to him, and things like that, and you say, gosh, I've never had an experience like that, and oh, I wish it was, and and, and all, you know, things were so different back then. And, and you begin to develop this imaginary scenario that's not true to the Word of God. And that's why you need to be diligent students of the Word of God. First of all, you know, God didn't talk with others like he did to Abraham. Abraham was his instrument, his, the one that he was blessing not for Abraham's sake, per se. He benefited from the blessing. But it was for what he was going to do through him. So, Abraham, I've chosen you. I'm going to work through you. Believe me. Trust me. Okay, Lord. I believe you. But guys, read the scriptures there are times that Abraham had a lapse of faith. In fact, he seemed to have a lapse of faith whenever they were, he and his beautiful, gorgeous old wife. <laughs> I mean, she was she must have been so attractive because even though she was elderly, there was this concern. They're gonna kill me and they're gonna take you. What should we do, honey? 
let's pretend that we're brother and sister because, you know, technically we are brother and sister because of this and that. And, this, you know, that. and the Lord had to intervene. Remember that? And the intervention of God was a rebuke to Abraham because of his lack of faith. You know, um, well, God promised that we would have a child. Well, this time it's Sarah, Sarai. Well, we better do something. What do you suggest, honey? Have you seen Hagar? <laughs> you know, I mean, oh gosh. You know, again, you, we have to be careful because, you know, people, again, you say, oh, there's no, there's no way Father Abraham would have any lust, you know. Father Abraham was a man. And you have this setup. And then he lies with this young woman. And she conceives. And now she's carrying his child. That's his child. And then there's conflict once that child is born. Which, of course, there would be. I mean, who's surprised as you're reading the context? No one's surprised that there would be conflict between Sarai and Haggai and, and the, you know, the, uh, Ishmael and, and little Isaac. You know, I mean, there's no surprise there. You say, well, what, what would you expect? She has to go. Oh, Lord. Do you think Abraham was said? I think he was devastated. God says, I'll bless her. I'll take care of her. All right, Lord. Still painful. Guys, we have to get out of our mind that, well, if I'm walking in faith, everything will always be good, and nothing will ever hurt, and nothing will ever be complicated. That is a lie. And if we're not ready for it, when things become complicated, we're thinking, something must be seriously wrong here. No. Guys, the darker the days get, the harder it's going to be for us to walk faithfully with the Lord. And so it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. You know, I've, I've given the example so many times, and it was so painful. It was so devastating. You know, I was 20 years old, and uh, a brand new baby in Christ, and um, wanted my dad to be saved so bad, my parents to be saved and my dad would just mock me. And uh, we would have, you know, we would go to San Diego to visit. We were living in Santa Barbara, Tracy and I, and we'd come down for the weekend to San Diego. And all my friends, all of our friends from, you know, our high school days would come to my parents' house in La Costa there. And they'd spend the weekend there. And, uh, you know, there was drinking and everything. And, and uh, you know, at one point I, I used to participate in all that. But as a Christian, you know, that was one of the first things the Lord spoke to me. No, nothing like that anymore. Yes, Lord. But I'd still get together with all these people, and, you know, people would be throwing back drinks and everything, and my dad would just start in, you know. Yeah, Danny, he's my born-again son, you know. Born-again son, born-again Danny, born-again, born-again, born-again. And he would just mock me with that. And I would go upstairs in their big house, and I would just weep. And I'd cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, don't you care? Why does my dad hate me so much? This is my dad. How could he be like this to me? It was so painful, but it was so needed. When I became a Christian, I contacted all of my friends and told them that I had come to faith in Christ and I wanted them to be born again. Not one of them said, oh, we're so happy for you, Dad. <laughs> Not one of them said, please come together. We'd like to talk to you about these things. They all cut me off. Boom. It was painful, but it was needful. Because the Lord was showing me through these examples, I'm all you need. I've given you, you know, and I think of, I think of the safeguards that the Lord was setting up for me, he was breaking off relationships that would have been unhealthy for me as a young Christian. And I didn't recognize it at the time. I just felt like, you know, gosh, all, all, all these people, all my friends, even my own parents, you know, they don't like me anymore. Boo-hoo, you know. But everything is a lesson. Everything is a lesson. 
you know, I went on staff at Calvary Chapel, Grass Valley. I had been ordained and I was working as a carpenter and always, you know, we've always had a home Bible study in our house and, and they asked me to come on staff because the other guy that was on staff had a heart attack and died. So there, there was an opening. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like, you know, I'm like at the top of the, you know, but it was like, no, you know. And so I remember they said, you know, now, Danny, we know you have all the kids and everything, and we just can't pay you very much, but you could work four days, and then if you could get some side jobs on, you know, Monday, I think Monday is when all the staff took off. So on Mondays, if you could get some side work, and okay. So we're going we're gonna to pay you $300 a week. I said, oh, okay, good. Prayed with Trace. She says, I think this is the Lord. I said, how are we going to make it with that? And she goes, I don't know. I think it's the Lord. I think it's the Lord. One of the other assistant pastors on staff who had two children, he was making $350 a week, and he gave us $25. So he says, you know, they need that. And the very first day that I went on staff, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, this is going to be so wonderful, you know. But you see, everyone, you know, people that aren't, like, in ministry, they have this thing about ministry that you walk in, you light a candle, you know. <laughs> Soft music playing. I'm going to read now for about 10 hours and pray, so please don't disturb me, you know. I mean, it's like this crazy idea of what ministry is like. First day I showed up, they said, Okay, Danny, come on in. Boy, we're so glad that you're here with us. And so opened up this closet that I never knew existed. And they said, well, here's where the vacuums are and the mops are and the this and the that. And the so your responsibility is we have the Royal Rangers that come in on Tuesday night. So you need to make sure that everything's cleaned up for the Royal Rangers coming in on Tuesday night. The Royal Rangers are going to destroy the building on Tuesday night. So on Wednesday, you need to make sure that it's clean on Wednesday for Wednesday night service. After Wednesday night service, it's going to be a mess. So you have to clean on Thursday for um, the services on Sunday. And so, uh, so that's kind of your responsibility. Take care of all these things. Here's the kitchen floor. This floor, you, you got to strip the wax off it, and you got to. And then, when the phone rings. Yolanda, our secretary's here, and if anyone needs counseling, you're here, so you need to take and, and do that. Oh, okay, all right, you know. And I remember, I remember thinking the first week, I thought, what am I doing? I, you know, I'm a, I'm a carpenter. <laughs> I, make, I make fairly good money as a carpenter, and, and now I'm a janitor. There's nothing wrong with that, but, but I, I didn't think it was going to be like this, you know, and and it was a lesson. It was a lesson. And I started thinking, well, the days go by kind of slow when you're just doing stuff like that all day. And I started listening to teachings on the Bible over and over. I mean, just, you know, uh, I get a kick because Nehemiah's doing that at work now. Some of the guys that can do that at work and he'll call me and say, oh, man, I just, he'll send me something. You know, Dad, you got to listen to this. And I'm thinking, man, I listened to that, you know, back in 1981 when it first came out, you know, and that's so rich and that's so good. And, and I just think of how, I, boy, I have this privilege. I'm doing this stuff, and it might not be the most enjoyable stuff, but, but I'm able to receive the word of God, and then I'm there to minister to people and... and um, and I had no idea that one day I would go out to plant a church and it would be a small church and I would be the gardener and the janitor and the counselor and the teacher and all of these different things. And I, you know, served at this church that we, you know, planted for, you know, three and a half decades and... Um, and I count it a privilege. I still am in awe that the Lord allows me to do this. 
That's why I always tell young men that aspire to be in ministry, I always say, you have to have a good work ethic. Because if you don't, you'll be ripping God off in the ministry. And I never understand people that, you know, yes, I'm going to go, I'm going to plant a church, or I'm a missionary, and they, and they don't do anything. They just waste their day away. And I just think, man, find something to do. You know, be productive, you know, and see what the Lord might do, what doors he might open for you. Anyway, I'm sorry I got off on that. I don't even know why I got off. Maybe it was one of those moments again. I want to end with this. When we question if the Lord loves us, we need to go back to the scripture, Romans 5, 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. How? How, Lord? And while in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? Think of that. We, we don't have the right to ever ask, how have you loved us? Do I need to remind you? You know, the cross? Let's not doubt his love. Let's walk in it. Let's share it. Father, I thank you for tonight. We thank you. Thank you for your word. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. Last night, as you know, Lord, the elders of this church got together and we, we talked about this fellowship and, and our desire to keep it simple, to be true to your word, to be humble. But we also, Lord, as you know, we prayed that your people would be truly filled with your Holy Spirit, that the things that we do would not be just us doing it, but that it would be empowered by your spirit. Because we know, Lord, that when you're filling us and empowering us and inspiring us and equipping us to do the things that you've called us to do, it's a joy beyond measure. And we count ourselves blessed. And I pray, Lord, even tonight that if some are here and they're just saying, oh, Lord, I'm lacking. Lord, I feel like I'm doing this in my own strength. We pray, Lord Jesus, if they're truly yours, that they would know that you would just impress upon their heart as your word clearly teaches that you have given them your spirit. Your spirit dwells in them. Your spirit is the seal sealing them till the day of redemption of their bodies. But Lord, we pray for those in this room that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. You tell us not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we pray, Father, that as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, parenting takes on a different light. Working our jobs takes on a different light. It's, it, it's, it's more meaningful. It, we're, we're more ready to engage people in conversation and, and, and to share you if, if the door was to open that way. But Lord, we need you. We pray that we would not neglect the things that you've given us, like your word. We pray that you'd help us. I pray for the moms that are wore out. They're tired they have young children. I pray, Father, that they would find a way to find a time when it's just them and you in communion, reading the word, even if it's five minutes, ten minutes, that they'd be able to start their day, end their day in prayer, thanking you for their children, asking you for the strength to be the, the mom that they need to be. I pray for the men, Lord. I know that there are women that work outside of the home. And I know that there are, you know, the majority of the men are working outside of the home. And I pray for them, Lord. I pray that, you know, there's that automatic, this is my job, this is what I do, I know how to do it. We become efficient in, in what we do, but we pray, Father, that we might approach it asking you for help. Lord, would you fill us? Would you give us wisdom beyond our, our own 
intellect, our own understanding? Would you, would you fill our hearts with joy so that as we're doing our jobs, as tedious or hard or dull or boring as they might be, we're rejoicing because you're providing work for us. And we pray, Lord, for the men that as they go home, that you would refresh them. And as they walk in the door, that they set the tone in a good way for the night. So, Lord, use us. And we pray for Tracy. We pray, Father, that maybe even tonight, maybe even right now, as she's talking to Bonnie, we pray, Father, that you'd open Bonnie's heart up to receive you as her Lord and Savior. She needs you so desperately, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay.